It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, November 11, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. State health officials reported two new coronavirus infections in Sitka on Tuesday. The seven-day case count remains at seven, two cases below the high alert threshold. So Sitka will remain at substantial alert for the time being, one of the only places in Alaska to be on a lower tier of alert. The recommendations for substantial alert are not significantly different from high alert in Sitka. Masks are recommended rather than strongly encouraged when six feet of physical distancing can't be maintained. Bar and restaurant capacity is limited to six feet of physical distancing under substantial rather than the 50 percent capacity advised in high alert. Eating takeout or dining outside is encouraged. Large indoor gatherings are still not advisable in substantial alert. Outdoor events, however, are encouraged. Other than extraordinary circumstances like the current outbreak in Petersburg, Alaska's infection rate continues to trend downward from its peak in September. The state reported 508 cases yesterday, down from over 1,700 cases per day on September 23rd. The statewide COVID alert level, except for Sitka and communities on the far western Aleutian chain, remains high. Caught between a rock and a possible 15 percent increase in resident garbage rates, the Sitka Assembly on Tuesday approved the purchase of a $3 million trash compactor. While Sun didn't support the way the compactor would be funded, others saw no other option for avoiding a steep penalty for shipping uncompacted trash. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. The decision to purchase a $3 million compactor for Sitka's transfer station comes after Alaska Marine Lines announced more stringent requirements for shipping garbage last year in an effort to prevent container fires at sea. Sitka currently ships its solid waste in open-top containers with limited compaction. The city has been negotiating with solid waste contractor Republic Services over who will cover the cost of the new equipment. After months of back and forth, the cost is finally falling on the city. City Administrator John Leach said he felt like they could have put up more of a fight with the contractor, but any way you slice it, it could cost Sitkins more money. I want to let the Assembly know that we've tried just about every idea we could think of and, and really uh, analyze that to find out if it was even possible. There is risk if we did nothing, uh, but I would still argue that uh, Republic Services knew exactly what facility we had before they entered this long-term contract. So I think if it went down that path, there would be a lot of risk to that, but I still think we could stand to fight a good fight. But you, as you know, the fight also costs money and time as well. Leach said if the city refused to buy the compactor, shipping costs would rise, spurring a 10 to 15 percent increase to Sitkin's solid waste bills. Using the loan from the Southeast Economic Development Fund to cover over 90 percent of the project cost, paired with around $200,000 from the general fund, would end up costing Sitkins a little less than $3 a month. As an added bonus, the compacted waste would actually cost slightly less to ship because it's more efficient. But while most assembly members agreed that the purchase of the compactor was necessary, some weren't happy with using money from the Southeast Economic Development Fund to pay for the project. The fund was originally intended to bolster Sitka's economy through small business loans. Assemblymember Kevin Knox saw the need for a major overhaul in solid waste and supported purchasing a compactor, just not with these funds. I fully see the need for this. I fully understand that we have to make some changes in how we deal with our solid waste in Sitka. Um, Like I said last time, though, I'm not 
comfortable using this fund to essentially prop up uh, what we really should be paying for uh, in dealing with our solid waste in Sitka. But Assemblymember Kevin Mosher said while he wasn't happy about it, it was a necessary evil to keep rate increases from skyrocketing. And we've supported John to try to see if we can find a way to not do this, and there is no other way, unfortunately. I wish there was. And yes, a long-term plan is going to have to be developed. This is not a sustainable thing. But right now, it's, it's, in my opinion, it's the 11th hour. We have to make a decision. We have to get this thing funded. I strongly uh, support this, not, like, not because I want to, not because I like it, but because we have to do it. We have to take care of our people and, and keep the, the costs as low as possible. But in the 11th hour, one variable had changed. Leach said he had a conversation with USDA Rural Development and had received a response shortly before the meeting that the government program may be able to assist with a grant or loan for the compactor. That meeting doesn't happen until next week. But Leach said if the city was able to secure the funding, they could likely return the appropriation to the Economic Development Fund. Ultimately, the Assembly approved the compactor funding 5-2 to two on second reading, with Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis and Assemblymember Kevin Knox opposed. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. The city is now enforcing restrictions on overnight trailer parking in the Sealing Cove and Crescent Harbor lots. When the Sitka Assembly met on Tuesday, it approved changes to the city code requiring permission from the Harbor Department in order to park a vehicle with a boat trailer overnight. Currently, the launch ramp and parking at Crescent Harbor is for day use only, and trailers can't be parked overnight there. Sealing Cove has a designated parking for vehicles with trailers in a three-day area and a 10-day area. But Deputy Harbor Master Jeremiah Johnson said some people had been gaming the system. And while the Harbor Department doesn't have a lot of time to enforce parking rules, the city code changes would give them more tools in their tool belt. Um, but we still feel that by adding these extra ordinances that when we do have time to go and enforce these areas, it gives us more things to enforce when we have time to go do it. We can just, rather than chalking the tire, waiting the three days or the ten days, we can write the ticket that day and hopefully stop that misuse from happening that day rather than coming back ten days later to see if it's still there. Assemblymember Tor Christensen was concerned about a section in the new code that would prevent detached boat trailers from being parked overnight in the main lots. Modern trucks now are 23 feet long, <laughs> probably longer than the boat they're putting in there in many cases. And so I just don't see it being a problem. I mean, I'd rather see them take them off the trailer and go park in the parking lot if they're going to stay to remove congestions. Johnson said the detached trailer clause was meant to discourage long-term storage. More often than not, the abandoned trailers, the problematic sighted trailers, are the ones that are left detached. So by not allowing a detached trailer in the main lot and providing them an alternative location, keeps the primary corner use for the three-day and ten-day in the corner available to those that are actually using the facility on a day-to-day -day basis, not storing it there for long periods of time. Christensen moved to strike the unattached trailer section from the code, but the motion failed three to four. Assemblymember Rebecca Himshoot supported the changes to city code, but asked that users of the lot report back to the Assembly and Ports and Harbors Commission if the changes weren't working. The whole goal of this is to not have anybody, so to speak, freeloading, and it unfortunately may come with a little bit of extra effort on the part of people who have been appropriately using the areas. But let's... Um, 
let's do it. And then let's check back. If we don't hear from anybody, it means it's working. Um, what I don't want is to not hear from people and have them also unhappy and grumpy and complaining about what we did wrong. The motion to change the city code to add the new parking regulations passed 5-2 to two, with Mayor Stephen Eisenweiss and Crystal Duncan opposed. Fishery scientists are forecasting a region-wide catch of around 16 million pink salmon for 2022. That would be a big drop from this past year, but around double the harvest from the parent year of those pinks in 2020, as well as the catch from 2018. Andy Piston is the Alaska Department of Fish and Game's Pink and Chum Salmon Project Leader for Southeast. So although it sounds like a, a low harvest forecast, it's actually a, a large improvement over the last two even years. The southeast harvests in both 2020 and 2018 were around 8 million fish and among some of the lowest in decades. Pinks are more difficult to forecast than other salmon, spawning every two years and with only one age group returning. A big piece of the outlook is based on data from trawl surveys, now a joint effort by Fish and Game and NOAA Fisheries. The annual research catches young pink salmon migrating from their freshwater rearing streams to the open ocean and gives a snapshot of how many young fish have hatched and survived rearing. Piston says the survey catches were poor this past summer, but there's reason for some optimism. The biggest thing that's different, and it, you know, and it may have played a role in why we had such a big bounce back in pink salmon this year, is that the the you know all the concerns people have had starting in late 2013 about the blob and anomalously warm conditions in the Gulf of Alaska have largely gone away, and so hopefully we'll start seeing some you know turnarounds in some of our marine survival for salmon with uh, conditions being close to normal out in the Gulf. Many pointed to warmer than normal ocean temperatures as a possible culprit for poor ocean survival over the past few years. The poor catch in 2020 was compounded by low prices during the pandemic, making it worth just over $6 million at the docks that summer. And what a difference a year makes. 2021 saw a stronger than forecast run and a rebound in prices. Scientists forecast a region-wide catch of 28 million fish going into this summer. Instead, the catch topped 48.5 million pinks, worth over $48 million at the dock, based on an average price of 36 cents a pound. That was the 13th highest catch since statehood. Piston says the number of fish escaping, or making it back to spawning streams, were higher around the region. We had very large escapements throughout southern southeast Alaska this year. And in northern southeast Alaska, where we had pretty poor escapements in the parent year of 2019, we saw a big improvement, and and we met our escapement goal in all three subregions of southeast Alaska, and, and, and generally uh, in the northern southeast inside areas, we saw pretty decent escapements in most areas this year. So that was a, a really big uh, improvement over what we saw in 2019. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.